0: tree-hugger yeah. term. How do you yeah. describe to people <laughs> what you're actually doing you know, in a pragmatic way? Oh. Greetings, this is episode number 20 of the Rose Bros podcast. Where the idea is to connect with other entrepreneurs, athletes, and cool people in general, all the while enjoying a nice cup of rose rose coffee. This episode, Mike Rutherford and I sat down with Jim Cormack of Internex for part two of the Eco Capitalism series, sponsored by Rundle Eco Services. Internex is a boutique legal and advisory platform focused on energy, clean tech, and sustainability. Jim has 25 years of energy experience and is a seasoned energy expert.
1: Hey Trev, good to be sitting down and socially distancing while enjoying a great cup of Rose Bro's smooth Sumatra Dark. Really excited to talk to Jim today. He's a very enthusiastic, well-spoken, experienced ESG expert, and really stoked to hear what he has to say today. This EcoCap series is a result of the original podcast that we did, episode 16, a couple of weeks ago, and the response that we got back from that podcast was so favorable, and there was a request to continue on for further ESG information. I'd like to thank everybody for doing that. It's very overwhelming that had such a great response. Thanks for listening. All
0: right, you, Are you good? I'm good. We're recording. Jim, thanks for sitting down. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, it's insane. People listening, Jim Cormack is a advisor at Internext. Jim, can you explain to, for
2: people listening what Internext is? Sure, yeah. Internext, I'll try to be brief. Yeah, Internext is a, I guess we call it a boutique advisory and legal platform. I say and because we have about 20 people, about half are lawyers and half are other skill sets, all of us work together, though, on advisory work. So I typically would say we're an advisory firm. We're focused on the energy sector as well as clean tech and ESG issues and sustainability. More practically, we advise businesses in, in the energy and technology development sectors. And what else would I say about Internext? Um, It's As a bit of quick background, we started about three, three and a half years ago. And three and a half years ago, there was about five of us and we've grown to 20 in the last three years. And it's a, it's a really strong team of people. The, the strength is our people. We've got lots of senior level hands-on experience and what makes us good at what we do. I think about the joke we often tell internally about the, the many wounds that we've all received in our careers and I think that makes us good at being pragmatic about advice for our clients.
0: A little bit about yourself, how did you yeah. get into the industry starting Internext and whatnot yeah. how did that come about?
2: So it started three and a half years ago with Internext where I met a, a small group of men and women who were uh, at the same point in their careers trying to advise companies independently and we just it was as simple as we believed that together we would be able to offer a bigger a bigger service offering. That has grown now into something more specific with all 20 of us and it's worked out quite well. Prior to Enernext, uh, spent the past 25 or so years in the energy industry. 20 of those years were specifically full-time on climate change and sustainability and ESG-related issues. Uh, so I worked internally at, at a large energy firm, working on, from the early days, like prior to Canada ratifying the Kyoto Protocol Prior to most people talking about ESG or sustainability, I've worked on those issues full time, right back to in the 90s being the guy who was gathering data that was used internally for metrics, for reporting things, to seeing the transition to companies actually struggling with and then getting their heads around how to report that information and how to use it for business processes internally. And maturing that process internally with a large entity that's kind of my background so that's a lot of my focus these days
0: cool how did you get into esg in the beginning what what got you interested
2: yeah well it, it was just a bit of a coincidence actually to be honest with you the role i had prior to getting involved in the topic of sustainability which now is often referred to as esg yeah back to the 90s i mentioned earlier i was i was working in operations for oil and gas operators and i was I was the guy who had had his finger on all the data. I was the guy collecting and calculating and doing the calculations. And, and when environment departments, I can talk, I guess, generically, because the company I worked for wasn't alone in this. Most companies were similar back then. When environment groups were tasked with thinking about this new topic of GHG and climate change, as well as sustainability topics, many of the folks that had historically worked in those environment groups hadn't spent a large portion of their career actually doing operational stuff and collecting actual data. So I just got pulled in that way. And early on in my career, I think it came out that I was good at taking operational complex things and describing them in a more generic way. And that grew into then being able to do the public disclosures for companies when it came to climate change-related things and or sustainability. So you learned on the job more or less. Did you do a degree in Environmental sustainability or anything like that? No, no, no. My background is is clearly in operations. And prior to the late 90s, I had no environmental background whatsoever, which is quite interesting because I ended up leading environmental departments and groups doing compliance work for environmental tasks, leading projects on um, getting their environmental permits, etc. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I don't have a background in that. So no, it's all learning on the job.
0: So this was Calgary in the 80s and 90s, a little different than it is today. Did you notice the ESG theme popping up in Calgary? Or were you kind of the lone wolf in this subject?
2: No, I wasn't a lone wolf for sure. I was an early entrant, I would call it. Yes, into that, but it, but it wasn't me. I got like I kind of indicated earlier. I was pulled into the into that movement. And frankly, since day one, I've always thought of the whole sustainability thing, and and even more specifically, environmental issues like climate change. I've always thought of it as what companies do, anyways, and what we think about, anyways. So my you know my training back to the eighties and nineties was about operational excellence, and and figuring out how to methodically and systematically analyze information so that you could make efficiency improvements. And and I see environmental issues as exactly the same, and I always have. So uh, more and more people these days think of it in those terms, and less people thought of it that way and kind of uh, thought it was a unique standalone thing, but it never really was. Mm-hmm. Thinking about how to improve environmental issues or any other ESG topics is all about systematically analyzing and assessing what you have, mm-hmm. figuring out what you want to get to, mm-hmm. and then figuring out how to do that. Those are pragmatic descriptions coming from yourself, but I think a lot of
0: people view ESG as kind of a hippie term or a yeah. tree hugger yeah. term. How do you yeah. describe to people what you're actually doing in a pragmatic way?
2: Well, so so let me start with a bit of a definition, because a, I'm a systematic thinker, so I like to start at the top with a definition. So So I think of... ESG, it's a systematic way of stress testing the ongoing decisions that are made by any business, and then communicating the results in a way that, that adds value back to the stakeholders of that business. That's how I would define ESG. And then if I was to go a bit, a bit deeper, I think ESG and the reporting of sustainability metrics, etc., it's it's actually fundamentally about the ability of an organization to, to simply create value for itself. My experience strongly shows, I believe strongly, that it's a process that actually pays for itself. It's not an extra thing. It's not an extra cost. It's a process that pays for itself. And and if I was to get into some of the stereotypes, I would say it's it's not about greenwashing. Uh, if I was to be blunt, it's yeah. it's it's not about. It's not even about saving the world from impending climate doom, right. if I was to say that. It's not about that. It, it's not about being reactive, and it's, it's especially not about pandering to the loud the loud minority voices, which many people get caught up in when it comes to ESG. It's, when you focus on it it's, and you assess it, it's about the organization's internal processes for managing things in a, in a complex world, and that's all it is, which is... Interestingly, it's something that all organizations actually already do. Sometimes
0: people view it as spending extra money that doesn't help the bottom line. How do you explain to leaders and perhaps shareholders that you're actually helping the bottom line?
2: Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that one. I go back to what I just said a second ago when I, when I mentioned that, that my experience strongly shows that, it's a, that going through an assessment process internally with an ESG lens is a process that always pays for itself literally have found no experience in doing an assessment with someone or with a company or assessing them ourselves that shows that there isn't some low-hanging fruit that where some efficiency or effectiveness gains could be found. Mm-hmm. So, So that's the first thing. Also, fundamentally, ESG is the way I view it anyways, and I believe the way it should be viewed, is it's about making money. It's about making more money so that we all have more money to improve societal conditions. Because if we want, if the objectives of the ESG metrics are for some sort of metric to be improved on the ES or the G, well, how do you do that? You can't do that by incurring costs. You have mm-hmm. to do that by making more money. So I think it's, a, it's, it's fundamentally all about making more money oil companies
0: of the past have been criticized for leaving old well bores and whatnot in the field. And now Alberta has a pretty big problem with that. Do you think that problem could have been avoided economically if we just paid attention more to
2: take yeah, care of the environment? Th- th- that's not a black and white, easy to answer question. I-, I-, I would just say that back to the, the description and the definition of ESG is some companies I believe already do a really, really good job of internally assessing all of their wells and how they're managing their wells going forward. Some companies do it maybe less rigorously and that that is maturing over time and everyone in the industry is getting better at that. So, so it's hard to say. Oh, we're not good at that, or that was bad, or like frankly, I, I think it's, it's harmful to the whole discussion to try to reflect back and pick winners and losers. Like looking in the rearview mirror is a lot like armchair quarterbacking. I think it's, it's an unfair thing to do. I think a, a fair way to a- assess the problem that we've got now with. Uh, with wells is is simply to say what is the status quo assess the status quo and then ask ourselves what can we do about it now
0: absolutely so do you think that's more of an opportunity that
2: presents itself old well
0: bores and stuff like that
2: in calgary and the energy industry oh absolutely like the innovative thinking that goes on in calgary that many people talk about that i won't uh, belabor too much here everyone who works in the energy industry in calgary knows there's a lot of a lot of smart, intelligent, innovative thinkers. Calgary is very much an entrepreneurial place. Alberta is. So, so I think of it as an absolute opportunity. I, I don't for a second think of the well issue as being some sort of problem. I don't think it's a problem at all. I think it's a great opportunity.
0: Have you seen companies that are taking
2: ESG into consideration, building it into their business model and actually making a profit? Absolutely. Without picking on anyone, because I don't want to, because there's a lot of good leaders in the the world in, in ESG. Just generically, I would say that, back to my earlier point, that everyone I've seen assess ESG metrics, track the information, then is armed with the information to make better internal business decisions. And simply having information to make better business decisions is what every business manager tries to, you know, espouses to and and looks for. So theoretically, anyways, with that definition, all businesses are moving towards improvements on their ESG standards quite naturally. Almost without looking, it's happening. Do you think that it's been a change in society in the last 10 years, five
0: years? When did this all start to change?
2: I think it's been a general trend forever. Like if you look back even further and and think about financial disclosures, if you look back a hundred years, financial disclosures were pretty much non-existent. Investors got annoyed by that and said, hey, I want better information so I can invest in certain stocks when there's no disclosure. And I'm not sure if someone's scamming me or not. And a hundred years ago, Accounting industry got their heads wrapped around that and it took them a few decades to say, well, what are the financial disclosures that should be standardized so that everyone has reasonable information that's balanced Mm -hmm. so that they can make decisions on both sides? And the sustainability ESG thing was happening regardless of who's been trying to champion it or talk about it. That was happening anyway. Society, like everything spills down from society's needs when society generally wants things. Regulators would definitely move in that direction and businesses will deliver what society needs. That's the nature of business in the first place is right. to give society what it wants. And so that, that's just a natural progression. And in the last 20 years, there's just been a lot of lingo and a lot of complexity and, and detail added to how that should be done. And, and, you know, without getting into too much of the the academic arguments about what should be or shouldn't be those standards... It's happening naturally. What I will say that's confusing to many people about the whole concept of ESG and sustainability is that that academic argument, which is sometimes loud and and sometimes on the extremes, that argument sometimes takes over what's really happening in the middle naturally anyways. So I would encourage all the, the listeners to look past the noise on the edges of the ESG issue. Mm. And I think it's... ESG is not something that we need to figure out, Mm. frankly, regardless of the standards that are developing and maturing over time, which need to happen. It's actually business common sense. Right, Businesses are going to do it because that's what their customers want.
0: Because the critic would point to the fact that sometimes it's hard to quantify these things in ESG, aka environmental, social governance. But if you can point to a liability reduction on the balance sheet, for instance, that's obvious.
2: Have you seen companies... Using examples like that? I would even uh, start by answering that at an even higher level. Like I would say that if a company try, or any person tries to argue that you shouldn't do ESG related activities because there's some sort of cost, uh, I think you just end up in a logical conflict okay. with yourself to your example. Cause at the highest level, I'm what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that there's nothing about ESG that any business wouldn't want to do anyways.
0: So you've seen examples of companies that, although it may cost a little up front in the back end, maybe, for example, they've seen a huge advantage at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, some examples, I I would say there's two types, uh, two groupings of examples. One is companies that have been doing, like almost all companies are thinking about ESG and sustainability, if not doing some of it to some degree. There's no one out there doing none of this thinking. But the companies who make a bit of a commitment to uh, doing it in a bit more rigorous fashion and doing an honest look-in-the-mirror self-assessment internally of what they're doing, my experience is they 100% of the time always find a whole bunch of low-hanging fruit that they absolutely did not expect to find at all. So right at the get-go, there's low-hanging fruit that pays for itself Mm -hmm. easily. And then there's the other bucket of, progress on ESG, back to your question. I and I would describe that as um it's slow and steady over time. And the improvements that companies are finding as they do ESG type activities for decades start to compound over time. It's hard to actually say, I did X this year and the budget was this, therefore next year I get this rate of return on that. It actually is kind of a compounding thing, sort of the same as the really slow but strongly powerful development of technology over time. Mm-hmm. Like if, if technology develops in a way that delivers 1.5 or 1.8% improvement of efficiency over time, you're trying to measure next year, I spent this much on my technology, therefore I have this rate next year, is hard to see. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing some sort of technology improvements internally, and then you did it over decades, that that few percent improvement over time compounds to the point where in the long run, you, there's actually big gains, and you're more effective and more competitive and more efficient and effective. Have you seen companies
0: out there that are trying to take advantage of this sustainability movement, maybe just virtue signaling? Yeah, there's, there's
2: there's there's endless examples of that. I don't want to pick on anyone yeah. because that's not fair. I may have even stumbled into trying to virtue signal at times in the past and everyone does that and makes mistakes and learns from it. And frankly, there's there's nothing wrong with that. At least it's an attempt to do something. And and uh, the, the, the companies that um, don't, I think people learn quite quickly that that trying to use ESG as some marketing signal or some uh, shiny object that they can flash on a picture, on a pamphlet, they, they learn quite quickly that that actually is counter-effective and uh, sometimes destructive. And I think those lessons in the past have been learned by by most people. The idea is to, make, to help you make money at the end of the day. This isn't supposed to be about… Yeah bragging about
0: some issue, the right. idea is to help yourself too, right?
2: Right, and I would even add to those that point to the last question and say that my experience of doing this is that 90-some you know, percent of the work on ESG goes unnoticed. It's it's behind the scenes. It's, yeah. it's kind of like if you were a CFO of a company and you thought that the company was bureaucratic and needed to be improved, what would you do? You would do an audit for a company that wants to mature and improve their ESG process, the the system you follow is exactly the same as a financial audit. Frankly, it just takes into account more metrics than a typical financial audit does, but it's exactly the same process in theory. You just internally audit yourself and you assess things, you do scenario planning, and then you model and test your different options for how to improve your effectiveness and efficiency against those, against those scenarios. And then you have the information to make the decision on which scenario to choose. Mm-hmm. And it's about decisions and balance. It's not, not about anything else
0: opportunities out there? Have you seen some cool companies popping up? For instance, Rundle Eco Services,
2: companies <laughs> yeah. like that? Well, Rundle, I know well, and they're the perfect example of how... Rose fo- Bros Coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Rose, Rose Bros Coffee maybe is another perfect example. So if I was to segue what I've just said to what I've seen of Rose Bros Coffee is, if you can focus your business on making more money, then you have more money to do societal good. Rose bros coffee. I've got a bag of coffee right in front of me here yeah, and it yeah. says right on it, good. You buy a bag, we'll plant a tree. So clearly you guys would not be able to plant a tree for me if you weren't making money. So making mm-hmm. money is the first thing. And mm-hmm. then I, I inherently believe in the good in people. And I think that that's overwhelming. People are going to do good when they have money and society will demand it. And that influences people to do good when they have the money. And, Rundle is another another exact same example. They've identified an opportunity to do some recycling of material that wasn't recycled before, and they are improving the environment by making money. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Any other cool projects out there that really stick out to yourself right now? Um, what sticks out to me is the sheer amount of cool projects out there. Yeah. There are so many cool projects that I don't really want to pick on any. The, the difficulty in what's out there right now that we need to figure out how to solve, and this is a, a focus area of Internext, what we try to, we think about every day, is trying to solve how to move those cool projects forward so that they make money. But, th- but there's endless cool projects and there's endless people trying to solve problems. That, that gets back to the, the signaling that drives ESG progress over time. Mm. Society wants conditions in society to be improved Mm -hmm. they do all the people i know want to live in a better society and that overwhelming desire makes people who are entrepreneurial or smart it makes them run around trying to figure out a way to improve societal conditions because they know they can make money at it kind of ties into the free market yeah absolutely And, and and that whole package of things is just a big strong continual ball rolling down the hill
0: well, I think that's a really good summary of Enternext and Jim and whatnot. Any announcements coming up for Enternext or any anything you want to touch on going forward?
2: No, I, nothing specific. I would just say that it's June now and we've been through the the COVID issue for the last few months, which has shaken a lot of people and made a lot of people question how business is going to rebound and how the economy is going to do and all that. And I, and I would just say that not surprisingly whatsoever but i've seen the evidence that uh, the people that need help on reevaluating how to make money in this environment when there's capital constraints because of fears of the the economy in the future i think that the people trying to solve that problem are coming to us more than ever more than ever before and yeah. and that's actually a sign that that you know we're going to figure out how to get through this and that all that capital that has been put on hold is gonna be deployed once again and will be deployed in a positive ball rolling down the hill motion again. How much capital do you think is out there before we end this? Are we <laughs> there's a lot. So I would just say generically whenever there's capital that's been put on spending that's been put on hold, well then there's capital sitting on the sidelines. There's a lot of people when there's ever their uncertainty in markets people go to defensive things. But it seems like there's a lot of capital out there looking for
0: green projects and yeah. sustainable based projects.
2: Yeah. And I'd also say that one of the difficulties that all groups trying to deploy capital, especially in the clean tech world find is difficulty in deploying that capital partly because I don't want to pick on people, but I would say partly because they're using investment decision models and process that is maybe the same way they did it in the past, and it 's difficult in in an emerging market like the clean tech world where you can 't for example look at a new or an existing new product 's historical cash flows and say, "Well, I only want to invest in this one if they 've had a long track record but that's that 's a problem that 's existed forever mm-hmm. that 's not a new problem in an ESg world but, but i 'm just describing one of the difficulties to getting more momentum with clean tech in the world today it there it is a bit of a battle to to show that you're a long-term sustainable cash flowing company but that's that's why Internext is here that's that's actually what we try to do with our clients is help them solve that problem
0: if you can solve the problem the, the world's your oyster is what yeah. it sounds like <laughs>
2: Absolutely, absolutely
0: all right, Jim. Well, I appreciate your time and maybe we'll get back for another
2: discussion round two in the fall. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I love talking about this topic.
0: Big thanks to Mike at Rundle also. Thanks, Mike.
1: All right. That was great. Just as advertised. Jim, great job. Thanks for coming on. And for your time, we'd like to give you a couple of bags of the Rose Bro Smooth Sumatra Dark, as well as a copy of our friend Terry uh-huh. Edom's End a fossil fuel insanity book. Enjoy. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed the show. If you liked what you heard, head
0: over to rosebros.ca where we will have upcoming episodes. You can also find our coffee and chocolate there, where we plant one tree for every bag or bar sold through our partnership with One Tree Planted, a non for profit organization focused on global reforestation. Otherwise, until next time, happy coffee drinking.